This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon and Julian McKenzie on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. So I think that's, uh, you know, been our uh, biggest positive this year. When you seem like we're, we're down and out, we find a way to call ourselves back in. So find ourselves in a similar situation. Now we've got to string a few together. The Calgary Flames will look to close off their four-game homestand with a big victory. But in front of them, one of the best road teams in the NHL, the Boston Bruins, will be looking for revenge after the Calgary Flames walked into Boston post-All-Star break and picked up a 3-1 victory. Welcome to another edition of Sportsnet Today. Happy Thursday. Happy Flames game day. It's Logan Gordon and Julian McKenzie along with you for another edition of the program. J-Mac, what's up, buddy? Uh, you know what, man? I'm living the dream, my man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Even better that you're along for the ride today. we got a busy show. It's the Flames and the Bruins. Boston making their lone trip to Calgary this season. 6 o'clock, Pat Steinberg's got your Flames warm-up. 7 o'clock, Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson have the call. Right here on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960. The fan will get you set with everything you need to know ahead of today's matchup. We'll hear from head coach Ryan Huska and more following morning skate. Also on a busy program, we'll check in with Scott Wheeler from the Athletic. Prospect rankings have come out recently uh, on the Calgary Flames as well. We'll check in with Scott how he feels about the ever-growing importance of the Flames prospect pool, Julian, and uh, perhaps a new name or two on there Mm -hmm. that the Flames fans will be interested to hear about. Had a shorter show on Wednesday, so we're bumping Ailish Forfar into the Thursday slot. Austin Matthews, 50-goal mark already. Does it in his home state of Arizona. Where is he in the Hart Trophy discussion? Also, if you haven't noticed, the Leafs have done pretty well without Morgan Riley. So we'll dive into that with Ailish coming up. And Thursdays, of course, me to chat with our pal Adnan Vert from MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. Can you get Adnan's thoughts on something a Blue Jays free agent signing had to say? Justin Turner doesn't like how MLB free agency is going for some of the top players as spring training's underway. And some of the top free agents around Major League Baseball don't have a home, including Blake Snell, former Blue Jays third baseman Matt Chapman. We'll dive into that with Adnan a little bit later on as well. Shannon Camp, our outstanding producers on this Thursday edition of the show. And a quick reminder, the fan feedback line is open to you at 960-960. We would love to hear from you on this Thursday Flames game day. And that's where we'll kick things off today, Julian. It's a big one for the Calgary Flames after a disastrous start to this four-game homestand. The Flames have a chance to walk away from this four-game homestand with a 500 mark. Uh, Unfortunately, standing in front of them, the Boston Bruins, who picked up a big win last night up the road in Edmonton. Far circle, Zaka tacks into the slot, back door, now high slot, McAvoy fakes, pull and drag, poke check, they score! Charlie McAvoy with the winner, got around the poke check 
by Skinner, and then chiseled it home. The Boston Bruins victorious 6-5 in overtime here in Edmonton. And Julian, that's continued what's been a very good stretch for the Boston Bruins on the road. 7-0-3 in their last 10 road games. They have the second best points percentage on the road of any NHL team and the second best points percentage versus Western Conference opponents in the NHL as well. This will be a test for the Calgary Flames tonight at the Dome. It absolutely will, considering the caliber of team that Boston is. The counterpoint to that is the Calgary Flames are going up against the team that they played their best game of the season against not too long ago, and they found a way to do it in their own building. I get it, it's not the road, but to go up against the Boston Bruins team that is looking like a Stanley Cup contender right now, and to shut them down in their own building, the Flames have that confidence in the back of their mind that they know at least what it takes to beat a team of that caliber. Not to mention that they're going to be more rested compared to the Bruins who are coming off that high-energy win over the Edmonton Oilers. A 6-5 game. You can imagine the Bruins are going to want to play a little bit better defensively, but they might be still coming down from that high. So I think if you're the Flames... There is that opportunity for for you to eat. Also, adding to what you said earlier about the fact that there's an opportunity for them to go 500 on this homestand. I look at their chances a little positively uh, against the Boston Bruins. It could happen where the Bruins end up getting the win, and we look at this team differently, and the doom and gloom resets in. But for whatever reason, approaching this matchup, considering what I've seen from the Flames against the Boston Bruins, considering what we've seen from the Flames against teams above their weight class, play up to your competition, play down to your competition. For some reason, I'm a, I, if I'm a Flames fan, I'm approaching this a lot more positively compared to so many other matchups on their schedule. The lines and deep pairings at morning skate today, we can tell you this, Jacob Markstrom gets the start against the Bruins. Jacob Pelche not quite ready to return. He was on the ice for an optional morning skate. He's missed the last three games with an upper body injury. That was his first time skating with the team since sustaining that upper body injury back on February 12th in New York. But your lines and deep pairings, back to what we have seen for the most part post-All-Star break, Julian. Uh, Zeri, Kadri, Pospisil, Huberto, Sharon, Govich, Kuzmenko, Mange with Backlund and Coleman, Hunt, Rooney, Dewar, Hannafin, Tanev, Uyghur, Anderson, Shillington with Pahal. And there were some questions, and we've asked head coach Ryan Huska about it the last couple times out. Saw Kuzmenko move around a bit. We saw Connor Zary uh, get some run at center, but neither one of those moves seemed to get the desired result from the head coach. No, uh, and he did, uh, Ryan Huska did acknowledge with Kuzmenko it's just a one-game thing. He was just trying to find some spark, but his future, at least with this team, is in that top six role, playing off top that top line. I'm really intrigued about how long until we see Connor Zary as a center like full-time. And hearing Ryan Huska discuss it today and and discussing the, the idea of him at center, just I think that's I feel like that's gonna be a storyline we're gonna talk a lot more about on the other side of the trade deadline. But if the Flames view Connor's area as a center going forward, we're gonna spend a lot of time focusing on that development and how long he's being deployed out there, what that looks like. And focusing on on what Ryan Huska's philosophy is when it comes to developing centers and giving them that rep. Is he a guy who, you know, is willing to go through the growing pains of a center playing at that position and then 
if they go through mistakes, you put them back out there, or are you quick to just put them on the wing to give them confidence? I think that's going to be a storyline we're going to talk a lot more about in about two, three weeks. But right now, as this team is still chasing a playoff spot, they still have the pieces they have ahead of the deadline that they could still offload. It, it feels like one of those backburner topics that, you know, we kind of saw a glimpse of what we could be talking about in a few weeks. Yeah, and it felt well, it's going to be a big topic. I agree with you because whether we've come to accept it or not, this team has begun the process of trying to find their next number one center, right? Whether you thought Elias Lindholm was a true top of the NHL, say top 15 center or not, he was the number one center on this team unquestionably. Mm -hmm. And they don't have that anymore. And the two centers that they deploy behind Yegor Sharon Govich, who's taken that de facto spot where Lindholm was, let's be honest, our older guys in Nazem Kadri and Michael Backlund, and they don't fit the age category of your next long-term number one center. So you're right. Whether we see Connor Zary get that opportunity, whether we continue to see Yegor Sharon Govich, um, you know, put in that role going forward. Um, when do the conversations start happening about looking at a guy like Sam Honzik, you know, uh, with the, the Vancouver giants and, his potential to perhaps one day, I'm not saying this year or even as soon as next year, but the potential that maybe he's the number one center of the future for this group. It's going to be, I think you're right. It's going to become a very big conversation because there isn't just a fix in free agency that's coming for this. This, I, I also, this organization knows that maybe more than anyone it's hard to find that guy to play number one center. And who knows if the flames are going to be able to find even a future player for that position off the trades that they're going to have to do ahead yep. of the deadline. There's no guarantee that in a Noah Hannafin trade, they get a young center prospect who could fit that bill. I don't think they're going to get that in a Chris Tanev trade. It might have to be an off season move that they do. Or if someone comes to Craig Conroy and knocks him off his socks with a Jacob Markstrom trade, I, I look at the prospects and, and, and we can get into it more with Scott Wheeler when we have him on. I wonder about, you know, who on this roster, who in this prospect pool has the best chance to be a number one center for this team. Uh, Connor Zary needs more reps. I, I don't know if I don't know if he looks like a number one center to me. He looks like a really good young player and he could. I mean, I could see him as a, as a top six player for this team for years to come. I, I guess I need more time before determining if if he really is a number one center. But what I'll say is just this. If the team's going to commit to him being a number one center, I would hope for his sake that they commit, they do right by him, they give him the reps, they give him the opportunities, and they don't flip-flop on him too hard. We've seen him play on the wing. He's done well on the wing, but he was drafted as a center, and I would hope for his sake that the team would at least try to just kind of stabilize him in that position. But I could also understand why they wouldn't necessarily want to do it right now. You do it like next season, or you do it at the end of this season with less on the line. Let's check in with the Calgary Flames after an optional morning skate at the Scotiabank Dome, starting with the head coach, Ryan Huska. He addressed the media ahead of Thursday's matchup with the Boston Bruins. How, how different is your approach when you played a team a couple of weeks ago? Like, did you change anything up process-wise? When... No. No, it's the same whether it's the same team or different team. I mean, you make slight adjustments based on your opponent for sure, but um, this is a game that we need to be at our best with. So the nice part is we have played them recently, um, so it's a little bit familiar for the players, so it gives us 
a, a little bit more of a leg up uh, on knowing your opponent than what, let's say, you would have if it was a few months apart. How was Peltier coming along? We saw him skating at morning skate today. Yeah, he's coming. Like, you know, you'd like to see him back now. It's, um, but he is coming. When you're on the ice, you know you're getting a lot, much closer to being back into game shape and into the lineup. Not tonight, though? Not tonight. Ryan, the Bruins have been one of the best home teams in the league for a couple of years. What did you like most about how your team played in that 4-1 win? Uh, I thought we played as a team that night, and that was a big thing for me. There was a lot of skating and a lot of work by our players to make sure they didn't have a lot of room to get their game going, and that's kind of a recipe that we'll need to see again tonight. So if there was one thing, that would be it. I think that was probably our best team effort of the season. I asked Connor there. I know he blasted. He moved him off the center pretty quickly in Monday's game. But he said he was like, "Look, what I'm proud of is my versatility. Is is that what makes you view him as, as being an option?" Uh, absolutely. I mean, we've used him on the right side too this year. So he plays left. He plays on the right, and and he will get other opportunities to play in the middle of the ice again. So um, again, I go back to playing in the American League. He got a taste of both. Um, professionally and that's such an important thing for a young player to have to or to be able to go through that stuff so when you need to be used or you want to be used in a situation here you're a little bit ready for it um, and I, I think he's been one of those guys for us this year I think it's always important to have a lot of guys that are centers on your uh, roster so you have the ability to move people around and Connor naturally was a centerman he's been playing the wing over the last little while but you don't lose those instincts Ryan, the start's always important, but when you're playing the team in the second half of back-to-back -back that was in a back-and-forth emotional battle that went to overtime, uh, is it maybe a little bit more important on nights like this? Um, Scott, I don't think it's got anything to do with the back-to-back. -back. I think it's more to do with Boston's a very good first-period team. I think they've scored 60 or so, and they've only given up 36 in the first period, so they come to play. Um, so whether or not it's back-to-back, -back, I don't think that necessarily matters. We have to be ready to start. I'd ask a very basic follow-up, but you say it's important to have a lot of guys who can play center. I mean, I mean, why, I guess? Um, a lot of times guys that are, are centermen are they're geared a little bit differently where they understand that they have to be responsible defensively a little bit more because they always work with their D-men a lot in our own zone. So they're the guys that have to be trusted in the middle of the ice. So um, whether some, if you ask a centerman, they'll tell you they're the smartest guys on a team. Um, but, but that's the reason why they have a, just a, a, a real good understanding of different areas of the game um, as compared to a, a winger that typically will just go up and down as well. How much does that help for in-game adjustments for you as well if you need to change things up a little bit? Yeah, it's important. I mean, we, that's a lot what we alluded to, right? with the prior question that Sharon went back to the middle. I mean, we like Sharon on the wall, obviously, because I think he's able to generate a little bit more there, but he's got the ability to play the middle of the ice, so it just allows you a little bit of flexibility, move pieces around. What's your philosophy when it comes to developing young centers or players who are drafted as centers and they're trying to come up in that position? Hard. It's much like a, a defenseman. You know, we always talk about D-man. It takes a little bit of time for them to come in their own. Centers are the same. And that's why, again, I'll go back to the American League. People hate it when they talk about it early. Like, why is this guy down there? Why is he down there? Well, he's down there for a reason. Um, because it's not easy to play as a centerman in this league, especially when you have to play against some of the top guys. Um, guys that really know what they're doing and guys that elevate their play at this time of the year. So um, I think if you can work them into that position a little bit by using them in the American League when they get a chance here and there at our level, eventually they, they understand how to play that role consistently at, and at a high level. 
what um, Kuzmenko was briefly on the fourth line last game. What you're hoping to see now that he's back with you, really? It was that was just kind of an in-game thing. But what we'd like to see out of him was uh, or is uh, making sure he's really strong on the puck. That's one of his strengths is that when he has it, he's able to cut back and he can get away from people quickly. And I think the second thing would be shoot the puck. He's got a real heavy shot, so we'd like to see him have three to five shots on goal per night if possible. At least that many attempts is what we'd like to see from him. That's head coach Ryan Huska checking in on a game day. His team had an optional morning skate as they welcome in the Boston Bruins for a 7 o'clock puck drop at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome on Thursday night. And the dulcet tones asking Ryan Huska a question about center ice development. He might recognize that voice and plays in pretty well to a conversation we were having before we heard from the head coach julian oh yeah what a nice uh i like the dulcetto tone of that voice <laughs> no but 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 to our discussion that we had earlier it it's it is going to be a topic that we're going to discuss and it's really fascinating to hear him say mention the american hockey league in this scenario because connor's areas play like an nhl player and i don't think like how much is is him playing at the american hockey league level an option in terms of developing him as a center, like right now, like you need him in this lineup, Like that's not, that's not feasible to even when the games are out of hand and, and, and you're out of a playoff contention, if it gets to that point, it's not feasible for Connor's area to get sent down to the HL level and then just say, all right, cool, man, just worry about being a center over there. I mean, they would need him on this team, right? Or unless Connor's area is willing to play center at the, during the HL playoffs. I, I don't know. Like so it's gonna be really interesting to see how that works out with uh with Connor's air at the NHL level because it seems as if, if if he's going to develop as a center, it's gonna to have to be at this level. Yeah, and I don't even know if when I hear Ryan Huska respond to your question there, I, I don't even know how much of it applies to Connor. Yeah, that sense, I'm not sure of that either. Because I don't think they're gonna play that game no. at, at center, even though this is a, a retool or whatever you want to say it. Hearing from the head coach there, this isn't a place to learn how to play the center ice position. And you're right. I think Connor Zary's done too much and meant too much to this group on a nightly basis to say, okay, we're going to send you back down so that you can play center, and we're going to see if that's the better development path for you. He's past that point. No, he's an NHL player. So what that applies to is a guy like Samuel Hansen. Yes, exactly. That's probably the perfect person to – the perfect case to look at with regards to how – Brian Huska wants his centers developed. So that's someone's development we're going to have to keep an eye out for. Yeah, so remember that you won't, but we'll try to remind you of that quote come next September when everyone's going, oh, Sam Hans is having a really good camp, or oh, why is he getting sent down back to the Wranglers? And well, it's because he's going to have to learn how to play center at the NHL level. And they don't think the NHL is the place to learn how to do that. No, and, look, and I don't disagree with them, by the way. No, and the Calgary Flames at that point, they won't. Re- they don't really need to be rushing any of their prospects. And for a guy like Samuel Hanzek, who th- there is a world where he he starts the year in the HL. Good on him to to be able to learn how to play center, work with Trent Call, work with the players there, learn how to fail, learn how to succeed at the professional level, and go from there. Yeah, nothing wrong with, with over-ripening your prospects at the AHL level or letting them breathe down there. And look, the easiest example to go back to is a guy like Sam Bennett here in Calgary that probably needed some time in the American Hockey League to, to find it out and figure it out and instead spent that time up and down Calgary's lineup learning it and 
has flourished on a more consistent basis somewhere else because he spent his development time with the Flames and made mistakes with the Flames. And um, you're right. I think you're better suited to be doing that uh, in the AHL rather than uh, at the NHL level. One other thing I'll add, too, and I think we're seeing it now with, I, I know with a higher quality draft pick at a guy like Quinton Byfield, but I think a lot of us in media, I think a lot of us as hockey fans need to really exercise more patience with these top picks and recognize the time it takes for them to adjust to the professional game, to adjust to being a professional period. And just because a guy who gets drafted in 2022 doesn't turn into the player you want him to be in 2023 or in 2024 or even 2025, you know, it's it's no reason to absolutely write them off. You know, maybe maybe the maybe the team gives them enough rope to to see what they have in that player, and he just doesn't show it. But I think it's just something to keep in mind, especially for a guy like Sam Hansek at 19, will be 20 in November this year, and seeing what his future will be with the organization. And you could apply that to so many other prospects on this team, to be quite honest with you, but the Calgary Flames are in a position where they can exercise patience on those prospects and they could do whatever they, they can nurture them and get them along. So that way, when it comes time for 2027, when this new building is up, they can at least be competitive. And if they're ready, then they're ready. Then if they need more time, they need more time. But I think a lot more people just need to realize that the path for a, especially for a first round pick, mm-hmm. it's not this linear path. That's going to follow what Connor McDavid went through or Connor Bedard went through. And just because they're not those players, doesn't mean that they can't ever achieve to be high grade players. Just be patient. Uh, let's check in with another member of the Calgary Flames on a game day. Nazem Kadri. He's on that line with Connor Zeri and Martin Pospisil once again. He's having himself uh, a great season in Calgary, one of his most consistent seasons uh, in a Flames jersey, and we'll look to continue it tonight against a good Boston team. Checking in with number ninety-one after an optional morning skate at the Dome. Well, you have to replicate from the Winnipeg game here in Osmond with another time must win uh, ahead. Yeah, I mean, uh, just continue to have that consistency. And I think, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, dog on a bone mentality and just, uh, you know, try to wear them out. Obviously, they played last night, want to get off to a good start. And uh, that, that could be a key. Do you feel like, like, the the efforts have gotten more consistent of late? Like, you've beaten some good teams like the Jets, New Jersey in recent weeks. Like, how would you say that the efforts have evolved uh, since the start of the season? Um, yeah, I, I, I never, I've never thought there was an, ever an issue with the effort. I think uh, just, you know, some lapses here and there has obviously cost us a few points, but, um, you know, we're trying to recover from that. Of course, I think that's, uh, you know, been our uh, biggest positive this year. When you seem like we're, we're down and out, we find a way to crawl ourselves back in, so find ourselves in a similar situation. Now we got to string a few together. Is the back of Hyena's mentality still with you guys? Of course. I mean, that's that's uh, become our identity now, so uh, we got to continue that. How long, how long until we get that on the shirt? Um, yeah, I don't know. Who knows? I might have to, you know, we might have to start selling it at the Dome and, you know, proceeds go to charity. I don't know. We might, we might, we might be coming up with something. How, how did that come into your head in that moment? Or? I just, I, I read it somewhere. I was reading an article. I can't even remember what it was about, but, uh, you know, I remember reading the quote and being like, oh, that kind of resembles our team. And, uh, you know, we, we certainly, uh, you know, it was meant to be a little humorous at first, but, uh, you know, it's turned into a bit of a reality. So it's not a Lion King reference? 
Um, it's not. No, no. It just came from an article, and you know, really liked it. I mean, is it a Lion King reference? I, I couldn't even Lion tell you. King, I mean, there's hyenas in the movie. Yeah, yeah, there is. But I don't know if anyone says that no. directly. I think maybe I just made it up myself. I don't know. I just had to take off. <laughs> I have to take all the they credit take for out, I mean, no, they don't. Uh, yeah. Well, Scar at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Any, anyways. Um, you read it in an article. What do you read? National Geographic? I don't, uh, I don't know. I read all kinds of things, you know? Just try to try to stimulate the mind a little bit. <laughs> Beat a team like Boston, and you're playing them again a couple of Such a good hockey team. Do you have to kind of prepare for them coming in with a chip on their shoulder, looking to you know, yeah. reverse it? Of course. I think, you know, they're obviously a great team, and... Uh, you know, they're not going to forget, but at the same time, you know, uh, games can unfold a bunch of different ways each, each and every game you play. That's the great thing about hockey. It's, there's always different variables, and uh, no shift is ever the same. So, uh, you know, we've done our homework. I'm sure they have too. It should be a good game. In, in games where maybe the, the team doesn't have it on that night, how, how much pride do you take in trying to kind of bring the group into the fight and, mm-hmm. and kind of set the tone on any given night? Uh, yeah, I, I take a lot of pride in that. I mean, obviously, it's uh, you know how you how you become a good professional, and you know throughout the course of the season, it's it's long. So uh, majority of the time, you are probably not going to feel your best, and uh, you got to find different ways to engage in the game and uh, and contribute. So yeah, just trying to uh, to lead the way. Is that, part, is that part of leadership for you? Is that kind of how you one of the ways yeah. that you lead? Yeah, of course. I think that's just uh, you know way you should lead in, in, in general. I think any veteran player understands that. Uh, you know, you got to show up night in and night out. And that's what good teams do. That's what good uh, good players do. Do you find you're more empowered as a leader? Second season you had an A for one of the games. Like, do you feel like you're a little more of a voice in this room now? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know if it's necessarily changed. I think for me, uh, you know, obviously, you know, my resume and my experience, I just, you know, come in and try to be myself and, uh, you know, try to, um, you know, coach guys along, uh, guys along the way. But uh, for me, nothing really changes. I think, obviously, you get more comfortable with who you're around. But, uh, you know, always just try to be myself. That's Nazmi Kadri checking in with the media. <laughs> the Lion King stuff. I, 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 could, I could say it for a fact. Uh, Pat Steinberg was not impressed with me. After, he was very, he like, after the, the scrum ended, like me and, and, and Danny Austin were talking more about it and Steinberg's just like this is really happening again <laughs> what a grumpy old grouch Steinberg is sometimes <laughs> jeez yeah uh, lighten up man like he was a kid once he probably watched Lion King at some point probably yeah you'd like to think he was right he you wasn't just so. wasn't just born like with a thumb in his mouth just being a grump <laughs> you know what I'm saying like he probably did kid stuff I'm sure he probably mm-hmm. wondered for himself it's a long time ago I think he should lighten very up. very long time I think Pat ago. Steinberg should lighten up Love you, buddy. Uh, we'll get more into uh, Flames on a game day against the Boston Bruins coming up. But we'll take a break, come back on the other side. We'll dive more into our prospects conversation with Scott Wheeler of The Athletic. He has uh, gone through the Flames system, graded them against the other 32 teams in the NHL, and uh, a couple of surprising names that we'll dive into with Scott Wheeler. When we return to Sportsnet today, Logan and Julian along with you, Thursday on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Tonight, it's the Flames and the Boston Bruins from the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. The finale of a four-game homestand for, a Calgary, for the Calgary Flames. They're not going far. Just a quick trip up the road to Edmonton for another Battle of Alberta and then back to Calgary for three more at home. Our Flames coverage starts at 6 o'clock tonight with the one and only Pat Steinberg. 
He's got your Flames Talk warm-up, Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson on the call right here on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960. The fan, Logan Gordon, Julian McKenzie along with you. And as the Flames begin to change the direction of the organization and try to have this two- to three-year retool, Julian, we're going to start to hear more about the prospect system, start talking about who gets added by Craig Conroy, the draft picks, and just how deep the Flames already are in their cupboard. And uh, one of the best when it comes to Talking to NHL draft and prospects, it's national reporter from The Athletic, Scott Wheeler, who joins us down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline. He's in the middle of his 2024 prospect pool rankings at The Athletic. Scott, thanks for doing this, man. How are you? I am fighting through it, fellas. I am uh, in the home stretch here of the pool rankings. I'm currently working on team number four, which means that after today, when I finish that up, hopefully there will only be three left to... Uh, Three left to right, so we're we're getting there. But this is uh this is my grind. This and and really June with the draft. These are the two months of the year that are the busiest for me work wise. So I'm looking forward to getting through to the other side here. I don't know how you do it, man. You devote your life to covering these prospects, and you do an incredible job for us at the Athletic. Just just how do you like? How do you focus on all of these names and all of this data and all of these scouting reports that you make? And, and condense it into these reports, man. Like, that's it's incredible what you do. I think part of it is just that it, it builds over time. Uh, it's not as though all of the work is done this year on all of these players, right? It's In many cases, it's three, four, five years of getting to know these players. Uh, for some of the kids that are 22, 21 years old, I've been watching them since they were 16, right? In some cases, even 15 if they were the kind of player like a Brad Lambert or a Shane Wright players who Quinton Byfield players who were sort of on the scene, even in minor hockey. Um, so it's, it's, it compounds, it builds, it, it makes for less work later. Uh, a player like uh, let's, let's just use the flame system. For example, a player like Jacob Pelletier is a player that I'm, I'm extremely familiar with. I know the ins and outs of this game. I've got the scouting report mostly built. So then it's just about, okay, let's get one or two, maybe three more viewings on all of the kids that you need to in the pool. And you sort of update it that way. I'm not watching all of these players 10 times a year. I'm watching uh, in many cases, two or three times a year. Certainly there are kids that I've seen much, much more than that. I've watched, I just released the Habs pool yesterday. I've watched Wayne Hudson 20, 30 times in the last couple of years. Right. So there, there are certain players that you just naturally see more, whether it's through international competition uh, events, like the frozen four and the Memorial cup, rookie tournaments all of that uh but it's it's just you you got to put the time in and you got to dedicate really years of your life to to getting to the point where you feel really really comfortable with a large number of players and with the the sort of each each individual pool on the whole if you will uh before we get to the flames prospect pool with you scott uh, you dropped number nine on the list today it's the arizona coyotes uh, give us maybe a, a bit of a reader's digest quickly on what you found with the Arizona Coyotes who have had a number of first-round picks added to their prospect pool the last couple of years. 
Arizona is an interesting one because they have drafted some very unique players. They've taken some big swings on some big players. And by big players, I mean quite literally in size <laughs> and in makeup. Uh, last year, they were one of the teams that didn't shy away from the Russians, while many other teams did. They used two top 15 selections on two towering Russians. One is a six foot four defenseman by the name of Dmitry Simishev, the other is a six foot five forward by the name of Danil Boot. They took a similar swing a couple of years ago on Maverick Lamoura, a six foot seven defenseman who's playing in the QMJHL and should turn pro at the end of this season. They drafted a six foot six goalie named Michael Harabel with their second rounder in last year's draft. So size has clearly been a priority for, for that group under Bill Armstrong in, in Arizona. The results, I think, could be really interesting. If you've got some players who are really, really big kids, who've got skill, who can skate, uh, if you've got those players around the true, true skill guys like a Dylan Genther, like a Clayton Keller, like a Logan Cooley, suddenly you've got a good good mix there. So it'll be interesting to see. We know, who knows whether they'll be in Arizona long-term, but it'll be interesting to see what that group looks like two or three years from now when some of their college kids get out of college and when those Russian kids come over to North America. Uh, curious, just uh, bouncing off of that, you mentioned uh, the Russian players in there. We obviously had a very talented one drafted last year by the Flyers in Matvey Mitchkov. You mentioned a couple of the Arizona Coyotes went through. There's another very talented uh, young Russian player in this year's upcoming draft. From a, a perspective of, of prospects and evaluating prospect pools, where do the Russian players come down, Scott? Is it a harder evaluation process for you when you're trying to guess when they they might be talented enough to come over to North America, but perhaps you know, KHL contracts come into play or how does that whole work? Is there still sort of that stigma that exists around Russian players when it comes to being drafted in the NHL and how you get them over here to provide for your team? Well, there's no question that right now it's tricky. It's tricky for people like me who haven't seen them at international events. It's even trickier for actual NHL scouts who not only haven't seen them at international events in recent times, but are also dealing with some contractual and visa issues with some of their players. There's obviously Ilya Fedotov, the, the sort of most pronounced example with the Philadelphia Flyers, a kid who had a contract to come over and play for the Flyers in North America and didn't honor that contract and has now been suspended indefinitely by the IHF uh, and was supposed to be suspended in the KHL under IHF guidelines under the transfer agreements, but he has continued to play in violation of that suspension with his KHL club. Uh, complications with, with players like Michkov, who you mentioned, Ivan Demidov is a top projected top five pick in this year's draft. Uh, kids who are under contract long-term. Even within the flame system, Adar Sanayev, who they drafted uh, a year ago and has had a really, really good freshman season this season in his post-draft season at UMass. Adar was actually committed to Harvard. He played at St. Andrews College, which is just where, just north of where I live here in Newmarket, just north of Toronto. Uh, played at St. Andrews College, the prep school circuit, was committed to go to Harvard couldn't play at St. Andrews when they would travel south because he wasn't uh, allowed sort of entry uh, in the early years of his career into the United States, uh, then lost his commitment to Harvard due to visa issues because he couldn't get approved for a visa, moved to the BCHL where, again, they played the Wenatchee team uh, in the in the, uh, sort of BCHL playoffs last year. That Wenatchee team is the only American team or was the only American team before they became a WHL team was the only American team in the BCHL, couldn't travel for their away games in the playoffs there. 
So there are all sorts of uh, logistical, practical, geopolitical considerations for all of these clubs. And then on top of that, there aren't many boots on the ground scouts or even agents in Russia uh, anymore. There, it used to be uh, sort of not even all that long ago that every team had, if not a scout in Russia, then certainly a scout in Czechia or in Slovakia who would make regular trips to Russia to see these players play live. That's not happening. So a lot of video work. It's harder to get interviews through their agents for NHL clubs so just to get to know the kids. Uh, they didn't participate in the scouting combine the last couple of years. So all sorts of challenges with Russian, Russian players these days. And some teams are, are still comfortable taking them where they would typically take them. And some teams sort of downgrade them as a result. Interesting. Scott, let's get into uh, where you've ranked the Calgary Flames in your prospect rankings. 15th in your 2024 edition, which is actually a rise of five from last year. You had the Flames ranked 20th with their prospect pool. Why the change? Why the rise? Let's get into this discussion. Well, I think they, they, they did a good job with last year's draft. I already mentioned Nate Arsenaev. is a kid that I really liked. Clear-cut second-round pick in last year's draft for me. Close to a point per game as a freshman in college, which isn't easy to do. NHL shot, some real quality to his game. I liked Etienne Morin. He was one of my favorite D, CHLD in last year's draft. Uh, I liked him as a second-round pick. He's had another sort of really solid season playing big, big minutes over the last couple of years for the Moncton Wildcats in the QMJHL. Samuel Hanzik's a solid prospect. It's been a tough go for him with injuries, but I know he had a really sort of impressive first training camp from what I was told with the Flames and has played well when healthy with the Vancouver Giants. Big kid, some real sort of finesse and smarts to his game, well-rounded game, projects to be an NHL player. So they, they, they drafted three or four kids that were sort of solid prospects in last year's draft. And then they've also acquired Hunter Bruce Davich, who I consider to be sort of a B-plus defense prospect. And I project to play uh, as a top six defenseman in the NHL eventually. So uh, they're, they don't have the star quality, but between those names that I just mentioned, plus you add Matt Coronado, progress from Connor Zary this year, Dustin Wolf. Being, I know it hasn't worked for him and really clicked for him in his, his few NHL starts yet, but Dustin Wolf being one of the better goalie prospects in the game. They don't have the, the sort of true, true impact star, uh, sort of top, top kid that, that a team who would have a top 10 pool would have, but they've got eight or nine legitimate prospects. And, and even beyond that, some guys who are at least sort of peripherally interesting. So uh, it's a deep group of sort of B, B-plus prospects. And now it's going to be incumbent on, on their staff and this new staff in Calgary to go out and find that, that sort of A-quality guy. I wanted to ask you about Dustin Wolf specifically, a guy we've talked about a lot here in Calgary, and obviously with good reason given what kind of numbers he's put up uh, through junior and into the American Hockey League. When you're looking at a guy like Dustin Wolf. This year specifically, Scott, when you're doing these prospect rankings, how much do you weigh what you're seeing from him in the NHL level where it's come very sporadically because the Flames still have two goaltenders ahead of him? And how much are you sort of weighing that compared to what you see from him in the American Hockey League level? Well, certainly the track record in the AHL and the track record in the WHL even before that with Everett is is the basis of the evaluation. Uh, obviously you, you can't, you can't look past issues if a goalie is struggling, uh, to sort of find his game and play to that same level that we're accustomed to in the NHL. It is different 
Guys shoot it harder. It comes off their sticks quicker. Pucks are moved quicker. You've got to hit your spots as a goalie earlier. All of that is true. I know he's been beaten up high, which is obviously, uh, in, at least when I've watched him, he's been beaten up high a few times um, in, in terms of playing with the Flames. And that's obviously always an issue with smaller goalies and it was a question for him and part of the reason that he was drafted as low as he was. But he's not, <laughs> he is a long, long way from being a seventh round pick at this point. We're talking about a first or second round talent in terms of uh, relative to the goalies who I would slot in a goalie prospects ranking in the NHL right now, he's slotted alongside the very best goalies outside the league. Uh, I, I think that's impossible to ignore at this point. I think it's going to work for him in the NHL. He, he, some of it is just reps and consistency in terms of finding it at the NHL level, but the way he moves, the way he tracks, how quick he is on his feet, the way he sticks with shooters, the way he stays up on his feet and actually traditionally hasn't been beaten high, uh, all of those qualities are just so impressive. And then you've got really a four or five-year track record statistically that is as pristine at the AHL and WHL level as any goalie in recent memory. Uh, even going back to sort of Marc-Andre Fleury, Carey Price, there aren't many goalies who have the hardware at lower levels and the 930, 920 save percentages consistently year after year at lower levels that Wolf has put together. So I would be hard-pressed if he weren't uh, maybe not a true sort of bona fide number one starter. Uh, there aren't many of those these days, but I would be surprised if he doesn't become a very good tandem goalie in the NHL. Scott, I'd love to know your thoughts on Hunter Brustavich, a uh, new prospect for the Calgary Flames acquired in that Elias Lindholm deal. You have him at number five among the Flames prospects. What are your impressions of him, and why did you rank him so high? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Brustavich. I was higher on him in into the draft process last year before his obvious, obviously he's had an incredible breakout year in the OHL, has looked like a dynamic player at the OHL level this year. Uh, he was a player who was sort of uh, early second round pick ultimately became sort of a late, late second, uh, early third guy for most teams, but I was kind of around higher on than most. And uh, in terms of his game, it's interesting. He's followed a very, very unique path. He was the guy ahead of Lane Hudson, ahead of Seamus Casey in that age group at the NTDP coming out of minor hockey. They expected him to be the top D prospect in that age group at the US NTDP. Then on his first, very first week at the program, he blows out his shoulder, misses his entire U17 season. By the time he comes back for his U18 season, guys like Ryan Chesley and Seamus Casey and Lane Hudson have established themselves as star prospects. And he just played in, because of the lost time, played more of a third-pairing role uh, in that in that U18 year before the draft. Then, uh, or sort of not before the draft, sorry, because he played in Kitchener in his draft year. Uh, but just never really, never really had the time to catch up when he was at the NTDP. Decommitted from the University of Michigan, uh, went and played in Kitchener the last two seasons, and has really sort of refound the offense that everybody talked about, uh, and really the skating that everybody talked about. I was surprised when people wrote about his skating in advance of the draft last year that it was never described, at least publicly, as as a strength. I've always viewed it as a real strength. I think it is a real strength. Certainly, I know in talking to him and in talking to people around him that in minor hockey, his skating was the attribute that defined him. And then he's got the smarts. He's an athletic kid. He's sort of 180, 190 pounds. Uh, he's not the biggest kid in terms of height. I think he's only about six feet these days. But 
uh, sort of really just a, an, an intellectual defenseman who really manages the game and has shown, again, the real offense and skating that defines him in minor hockey this season as one of the very best players, not just in the OHL, but really in the CHL this year. So uh, a lot of credit to him. I think he looks like he's on a track to become an NHL defenseman now. I'm not sure whether that will be a top four guy or a sort of third pairing guy, but that's, that's the path he's on now. So what say you to the Adam Fox comparison? When that trade happened, uh, Jeff Merrick made the comparison of, of, of Hunter Prostavich to Adam Fox, which in this market in particular, Adam Fox elicits a particular response. So what say you to that, re- to that reaction? I mean, that's obviously certainly high. Adam Fox is on a Hall of Fame trajectory at this point in his career. He's a perennial Norris contender, one of the five best defensemen in the NHL. Uh, Hunter Brustavich isn't going to get there. But in terms of the stylistic piece of it, if you're just talking about sort of the way that they operate, the way that they think the game, the advanced level with which they think the game, their size, their makeup uh, in terms of their physical makeup, there are a lot of similarities there. Uh, they both are sort of really rely on their smarts to create and to manage the game and to manage the puck. They're both incredibly sort of efficient players. Uh, I, I think they're both uh, – Adam Fox has never been at maybe as quite as strong a skater as I believe that Bruce Davich is. Um, but there's – there's uh, and obviously Adam's a premium, premium talent offensively and has defended at a very high level in his uh, sort of still, still young career in the NHL. So uh, not going to get there. He's not going to be a star. I would be pretty surprised if he were a star, but – uh, maybe he can be a sort of budget version of that as sort of a number four, number five defenseman, which is still a very valuable piece of the puzzle for an NHL team. Uh, Scott, last one for you. As uh, Calgary looks to be retooling on the fly over the next couple of years, we already seen Craig Conroy pick up some significant draft capital for the years going forward. When you look at this Flames prospect pool from a, a big picture perspective, where do you see the biggest needs for Craig Conroy and his management staff to add over the next couple drafts? I just think it's, it's easier said than done, but they need a, a sort of frontline, first-line player. I think that all of Matt Coronado, Connor Zari, Samuel Hanzik, all three of those guys are going to be good top nine NHL players, impactful players maybe even. Obviously, Zari has already shown that he can kind of hang as a top nine player in the NHL. Uh, I think Coronado and Hanzik will get there. I think Coronado has a chance to potentially even be an impactful player and to score sort of 25 goals a year kind of thing. But they need uh, they need a true star. They're going to need another sort of Matthew Kachuk, Johnny Goudreau type eventually. They, every team needs that guy. Uh, and I don't think that Coronado, Zari, Hanzik, they're, they're not going to be that level. So, uh, And really the only way you can find those guys these days uh, is through the draft. So, uh, they need to they need to either hit on that in the teens or in the early 20s, uh, or they need to bottom out at some point and find that guy in the top five kind of thing. And at this point, they're kind of in that muddy middle where they're a little bit too good to be a true lottery team, and they're not quite a, a sort of playoff contender at this stage either. So it can be hard in that range, in that sort of 10 to 15 range. It can be hard to find uh, sort of true, true, true star players. It doesn't. Uh, it, it, it's not that it never happens. I mean, David Pasternak was drafted in the 20s, right? Yeah. Um, but it's it's easier said than done. So that's that's what this pool is missing. I know it's it's not great to hear that, but that's what this pool is missing. It's missing that that star. 
Uh, he is Scott Wheeler, national reporter at The Athletic, covering the NHL draft and prospects. His 2024 NHL prospect pool rankings are underway at The Athletic, finishing up on February 29th. No, it's a very busy time of the year for you, Scott, uh, but appreciate you dropping by with us here in Calgary to give us the latest on the Flames prospect pool, man. Thanks, dog. Cheers, boys. Take care. Scott Wheeler, you can find him on Twitter at Scott C. Wheeler, of course, at The Athletic, the Calgary Flames, ranking 15th out of 32 on Scott's list of the 2024 NHL prospect pool rankings. I got to say, his description of uh, the Flames being in the muddy middle, uh, I've never heard that description before in my life. No? Nope. No? Never heard of it. Never heard of that. Nope. Never heard uh, (laughs) the Flames be referred to in that manner. Absolutely not. Nope. Uh, Really great stuff from Scott. One of the best in the biz. Uh, when it comes to draft rankings, prospect rankings. Uh, so obviously, if you're looking for the latest, both prospects that the Flames received in that uh, Ohio Lindholm trade, by the way, made the top 15 yeah. uh, for Scott. We didn't talk about Yoni Yermo, uh, but he's on the list. He also talks about some guys that just missed the cut. So you want that full list of, of 15 players, check it out uh, on The Athletic, or you can find the article. Uh, he drops one every single day on uh, the link on his Twitter again, at Scott C. Wheeler. It's a good, I'll say this. I mean, to see the Flames prospect pool rise from 20th best to 15th best is still pretty good. And partially, and and part of that reason being the development of the prospects they already had, but seeing the additions of new guys like Rustevich helping that also plays a role. But yeah, I, I, I agree with Scott in the sense that this team still lacks a frontline A grade prospect to come up from their system. And for teams that are retooling or rebuilding or what have you, they have at least one of those players in the system that they can't wait to see come up and play more minutes at the NHL level. Uh, Dustin Wolf is a really good prospect. I mean, I think he needs more time before, you know, he really cements himself as a true number one goalie. And maybe the height thing might be, we can have a whole debate on that if we want to, but it's him, Coronado, Corey, Connor Zary, and what else is in that prospect system? Are you, Samuel Hansik, you can put him in that in that category too, yeah. but who else are you thinking of in that roster that makes you say, wow, like this is a can't-miss guy for the next how many years? And between all the draft picks that the Flames have this year, I think they need to get more for next year, especially since they stand to lose one of those draft picks. They either need to hit some home runs on the picks that they get or package them in a deal to trade into the top five or top ten of a draft class. It's going to be interesting to see uh, see if Craig Conroy does take some of those home run swings to try to find that next star in the Flames prospect pool uh, or not. Uh, he's Julian McKenzie. I'm Logan Gordon. This is Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. We are going to take a break. We're going to kick off Hour 2 next with Alish Forfar, host of uh, the fan pregame show. You've seen Julian McKenzie star on that program before with Justin Cuthbert yeah, man. and Alish Forfar. She joins us every week. Plus, Adnan Verk, MLB Network, NHL Network, Cinephile Podcast. Spring training is officially underway. The first game of spring training is underway. The Jays will kick off their spring training schedule on Saturday. So we got lots to talk about. Make sure you keep it locked right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.